Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have Frank Zappa's little Italian virtuoso and stunt guitar player, Steve Vai. In this never-before-heard 2016 interview, Vi talks with author Greg Renoff about the landmark David Lee Roth album, Eat Him and Smile. At the time, it was the 30th anniversary of the iconic album. In the interview, Vi talks about the song he thought he wrote but didn't, the rumored Kim Mitchell song, the jock that wasn't happy with Vi, and the infamous Lucky Strike reunion show that didn't happen. The interview is conducted by Greg Renoff. Renoff is the author of two Amazon bestsellers and a must-read for music fans, Van Halen Rising and Ted Templeman, a platinum producer's life in music. If you haven't read these books, do yourself a favor and go get them now. The article that was a result of this interview can be found on Guitar World's website. I will link it in the description. I encourage all of you to go read it. A big thanks to Steve Vai and Greg Renoff for allowing us to share this interview with you. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Is it okay if I record this? Yeah, please. Okay. So I just had a few questions. I've uh, spent years as a fan. I saw you guys in uh, 86 and 87 on the Eden oh, Tour. Yeah. yeah, in New Jersey. It was great. And, uh, so I've read all the old interviews, and um, so I, I uh, wanted to come up, uh, upon this story in a way that I think maybe some other people hadn't, which is to start with the, the movie, because I think that's sort of the lost thread of the whole story there. Because if I understand correctly, when Dave called you the first time, at least the premise of the call was that he was going to make a movie, which was going to happen, of course, and then um, you guys were going to write songs for the movie. Well, you're close. Dave was putting together, you know, his plan was to put together a kick-ass rock band. Okay. With exceptional players. The movie was something that him and Pete Angelus were working on, and we were going to incorporate whatever music we were writing for the record into the movie. And it got pretty deep. You know, at one point, we were actually looking at scripts, and, and they were, you know, sort of preparing the whole media campaign with their... Right. Um, the videos that they did as the Picasso brothers and all that stuff. But I was so young and just so bewildered by everything. And it was, everything was just interesting and exciting and wild. You know, I mean, uh, I was ready to do anything. And we had a lot of fun preparing for the movie. We actually got together with, I think it was Tony Basil, was that the woman? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and started working out choreography for the songs. It was going to be really great. And then yeah. personally, I never knew what, what happened, I think there was some, some kind of a something between Dave's production team and the movie studios where they either put it on the shelf or they right. uh, you know, kill, killed it. I'm not sure, but next thing I knew, it wasn't on the table anymore. What's your sense on how the release would have been different, perhaps, if it had been a soundtrack? I say that because I did some digging through Billboard and some other things, and Narada, Michael Walden, Al Rogers, Aerosmith, all these little tidbits I see where they were saying they were writing songs for Dave or Dave had solicited songs from them. Do you have any sense of how that all was going to come together with you, your original songs? No, because I never heard that. Um, nope. You're the first one telling me that. I, it was probably before I was in the picture. What you're saying sounds like maybe on their mind was the idea of taking a hiatus from Van Halen and making this movie, in which case I know they were, they were reaching out to a bunch of people. I don't know who. But then once I showed up, 
we just started writing music and okay. I never really it, it could have been going on and I don't know. Yeah, it would have been nice to I work was, with those guys. Yeah, the other thing I always thought maybe they were just thinking that, you know, like in a movie you have to have obviously quite a bit of music for if it's gonna be a rock musical and maybe they were thinking like Nile Rogers was gonna do like he he said like in the in the quote and billboard like a big band jazz score. So maybe he was think they were thinking of little little parts that were gonna be filled in by the, this music from other other guys, but yeah, it's interesting to hear you that sort of once you guys got rolling, it was sort of that was all beside the point. It would make sense to me that some of the scenes might have incorporated big band stuff, especially since you know Dave had songs like uh, That's Life and Just a Gigolo, and Niall would have been perfect for all that. The other thing, of course, is the uh, the Lost Kids in Action song, which it sounds mm-hmm. like again it was going to be uh, Kim Mitchell was initially contacted by Dave to supply music before you got in the band by Billy. Billy had basically put Dave on to Kim, and then you guys got down to the fact where you actually recorded Kids in Action. What do you remember about that tune and the whole way that song had turned out? Well, when we had gotten into the basement and started jamming and writing and playing, it was a very open, free, creative environment in that the thing that made most sense is reach out to everybody. Before I got in the band, I know Dave was talking to some other guitar players. Uh, I think Kim could have been one of them. I know Steve Stevens was one of them, was already tied up with the uh, Billy Idol thing. And there was, I think there was some others. I can't really, really remember. But the odd thing for me is that uh, I was just a kid in an apartment, and this, the moment I heard that David Lee Roth was looking for a guitar player, I just immediately and instinctively had a knowing that it was my gig. I don't know why. You know, sometimes those things, that's just like everything's connected, you know. So I didn't really pay much attention to any of that other stuff. But when I did get into rehearsals, there were a couple of really good songs, a whole bunch from outside sources. And I know one of them was Kids in Action. If we have a recording of any of that stuff, it was just a basement cassette recording. There was no formal, formal recording that I remember. Yeah, there's. Um, I'll, I'll send you actually. So I got in touch with Jeff Henderson, and it looks like when you guys went into fantasy, you guys did cut Kids in Action from what Jeff has. Track really? sheets. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll send you the sheet by email. It's interesting. So what? Isn't it funny I, what, that I don't even remember? Yeah. I guess you're talking uh, to the wrong guy. <laughs> no, you're telling me this is great. I mean, this is why I talked to all these people. And so Jeff Bova added keyboards at Power Station at the very end, and then what Jeff remembers. And what Ted told me was that it kind of came down to Kids in Action and Tobacco Road. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, Tobacco Road was chosen over Kids in Action. But it was it was finished uh, from what I've been able to tell. I'll send I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it because I don't remember recording it. But I'm yeah. not very good at stuff like that. You know, I mean, I write, I write a lot of music. Back then, the habit for me was to write music on tour, like write it. I would actually sit and compose. And then... Uh, at the end of the tour, I just throw in a big pile because I could never record it all. And then many years later, I was working on a record called Fire Garden, and I was going through all these papers, all this manuscript, stacks of manuscript, and I found this one piece, and it was in my handwriting, and I, I really uh, liked it, and I remembered writing it all. And it was a, a beautiful piece, and it was a toss-up between working on that piece or another piece that I had written while on tour. So I decided to do this one, and... Um, I recorded it. It was a big epic piece. It's like in four movements and all this stuff. And the first movement, right before I handed the tapes into the label, I played it for a friend. And he goes, oh, I see you recorded Bangkok from uh, uh, the, the play Chess. And I said, I, what are you talking about? This is I wrote this song. And he goes, no, that song was written by Tim Rice and the guy from ABBA. 
And I'm like, well, then they ripped it off from me somehow, you know. <laughs> and then I, and he goes, no, Steve, you got to go and listen to this. Rec, go buy that record. And sh- sh- for shit sure, man, I uh, I bought the record and I listened to it. And it was it was exactly note for note, the song that I had written. And then I realized, I called Dave. Something told me he was involved with it. He gave, and then I remembered, we were doing, the in the beginning of the Human Smile rehearsals, we were doing uh, put, putting the show together. And he gave me a cassette with what he called a Hungarian dance on it or something. And he said, learn this and show it to the band so, like, in between set changes, you guys can play it. So I trans, and what it was that he gave me was Bangkok from Chess, and I transcribed the whole thing and just completely forgot and threw it in my pile of music. So <laughs> luckily I caught it in time and I was able to give the right credit and get the right permission. <laughs> Man, that would have been a hard thing to explain. Like, it was a, you know, inadvertent. I didn't know. And it's like, it's note for note. Yeah. That yeah. And how dare you steal my music? So as far as <laughs> the funny I would story. be really curious to hear kids in action. Because I, frankly, I just don't remember recording I, it at all. Um, I keep hounding Jeff Hendrickson, the engineer, to try to find the tape. He thinks he might have a tape somewhere. But, yeah, I'll send you the track so you can see it. Just to circle back real quick, does it make any sense then to you that maybe Dave had purchased songs from Aerosmith? Because I'll send you this little even this little press clipping that they say, oh, Dave told us about these two scenes and we're going to write songs for the movie. Joe, again, this may again this may have all predated before you're getting in, but I'm wondering if any of that makes sense with the Kim Mitchell kids in action, like Dave had a sort of a small collection of songs that you guys could draw up on a pool. If that makes any sense, or is that not accurate? You think? Well, I know there was a Dave had some songs from the past that he really liked, and I know Kids in Action was one of them. And he used to, I believe, he used to refer to that song as Snake Killer because it was um, the snare was being hit so hard it looked like somebody was trying to kill a snake. Uh, but there was other songs too, and Snake Killer could have been another song. But he had uh, some songs, but I don't recall any of them being written by Aerosmith. Okay, or those guys. So I don't. Okay. I, I would have that would have been on my radar for sure. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'll send you the little clipping. It's, it's again. I, I'm gonna guess now that I'm talking to you that maybe that was all. You know, Dave is done with Van Halen. Doesn't have a guitar player. Needs to get started on the movie. What happens in this business a lot of times is you reach out to somebody with an idea and a proposal, and all systems look like they're go. So. There's a tendency, I do it all the time, even though it's not a good practice, is to leak it into the press because you're excited about doing it. Yeah. And you're talking, yeah, yeah. People, people always say, what are you doing these days? And it's yeah. almost impossible to resist saying, I'm writing something with Dave Roth. At the time, there was a lot of eyes on the band. You know, that might have happened where they talked about it, but they never actually did it. Right. Yeah. That, that, but why, that, are you going to are you going to interview Dave for all this? Well, Dave's a little hard to reach. Um, I wrote this book um, about the early days of Van Halen, Van Halen Rising, and I, I would hope That's to. That's a fucking incredible book. That's <laughs> like crazy to say. It's such a, I mean, honestly, I'm just so flattered. It's, well, it's the it's the best one. Well, <laughs> as far as dang, you know, I, I, I you know um, my hope was to try to talk to Dave after I talked to all you guys to say look, but you know he's a little bit challenging for the average folk to reach, you know, and so um, he's just, I know he's just yeah. come back online. He sort of had gone black over the last year. <laughs> he's like gone offline, no no social media, nothing. And so um, I'm going to try to get a message to him, but uh, we'll see if that can, yeah. that would happen. He's into it. He's, uh, yeah, I have a hard time getting a hold of him too sometimes because yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah, I, he's an enigma. He, you know? <laughs> he does his own thing. I mean. Well, he's always busy and he's always being productive and he doesn't waste yeah. time. You'll talk to him and he'll say, yeah, I moved to New York for a year and I became a class A uh, medic, para, paramet, para, right. you know, and you're like, uh, of course you did, because 
that's what you do. <laughs> that, that's the kind yeah, of yeah. thing that Dave would do. He would. I have pictures of him that he showed me tugging, pulling. In the, he was in the water in the Amazon pulling a boat because they couldn't get the boat through the weeds. I can't. I mean, the, the guy's intense, man. I can't yeah. tell you what I learned from him. So the the article is going to conclude basically with the with the lucky strike thing, but it's going to wrap up with the end of the uh, the first tour, the one with Billy. What what's your your memories? Your kind of now you look back on that. What's your that was, you said you were young and it was obviously your first huge huge rock gig. What was your your experience with that? Well, um, sometimes you don't realize everything that's going on around you when you're in it. So when I first met Dave, it was at his office, and then the the next time was at a, in his basement, and we were sequestered in the basement for many, many months, writing and playing and writing and playing. And Dave is a master at press, too. And he had, you know, we were sequestered. I didn't know what was going on in the outside world. I mean, you got to <laughs> remember, I was just so young. But it was exciting. The thing that sure. was so exciting to me was the, the rawness of the music, the intensity yeah. of the of the attitude of what we were going to try to accomplish or what we were aiming on accomplishing having billy as my brother in that band and what we did together and it was the perfect time it was like the timing couldn't have been more perfect all the elements came together the trends at that time were as you know in the 80s you could wear anything you wanted and boy did we ever you know you put on the biggest stage show i think uh you know our the amount of light cams that we had on the stage is in the Guinness Book of World's Record. And we played our ass off, and Dave gave us ultimate freedom, you know, infinite freedom on the stage, basically, to do whatever we wanted. And, and it was just amazing to be on that tour. When I got out on that tour, the, it, the thing that, when it really all came home, there was several moments. One was when the record came out, and I just started hearing it on the radio. I started yeah. hearing it. As a matter of fact, I was the, the day after it came out, I was walking out of the gym, and I and I just walked into the parking lot, and I got in this guy's way, and uh, kind of like a jock kind of a guy, and he and he rolls down his window and he's screaming at me, "Get the fuck out of the way!" Whatever he's saying, and he's just you know as he's jamming to the music <laughs> in his car, and he's That's listening great. to Elephant Gun. And I'm like, I'm looking at him, and he's yelling at me, and he's, hello? Yeah, no. Yeah, Are hold on one second, okay? Yeah, yeah hold on. Yeah. Uh, hello? Yeah. Hi, sorry. <laughs> that was Zach no, Wild. That does. Was it Zach Wild? Yeah, we're doing a tour together, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah. yeah. So I was. Um, I'm just laughing uh, at your ass kicked your own music. It's like the soundtrack. I know, and the guy. I'm looking at the guy, and he's and he's yelling at me with this, you know, freaked out look on his face while he's while his head is bobbing to my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. And then the, the second awakening basically was the first show when we arrived at the hotel, and the hotel was completely festooned with fans, and they had a oh, yeah. had like barriers to get into the hotel, and then the party. But being on the stage that first night in Huntsville, Alabama, it was a shock because you're now a rock star performer and you got to deliver. And the, the, there was 20,000 people. And at one point, Dave does this thing where he just stops and puts the mic out, you know, and it went on for like 10 minutes and the screaming was so loud that I was, it's, if Billy and I were looking at each other, we were like scared. It was louder than our amps. And I just thought, what happened? This is wild. And then the parties and all were just the, just the best. Dave knew, really knows how to throw a party. The whole tour was nothing but a a really wild, cool, 
amazing yeah. ride that I am so grateful I had an opportunity to be a part of, I tell you. I got one more question for you, but I'll, I'll tell you what. When I talked to Greg Bissonette, he, you may have been there when this happened. I thought this was such a cool little story he told me. He said that he gave Dave a hug at Lucky Strike and said, Dave, I love you because you gave me my platinum passport. It's good all over the world. I can go anywhere I want. And everyone, you know, kind of knows me because of your band. I thought that was like the coolest, the coolest oh, yeah. thing, you know. Well, I mean, I could never when I when I do press and people ask me who my mentors are. My first mentor was my high school music teacher because he taught me for seven years every day how to write music. And then I took lessons from Joe Satriani for three right. years. And he was a powerful mentor. And then I had the great. Uh, f fortune to work for Frank Zappa for years and he was an incredible mentor but uh, every one of those people contributed vital things in my learning experience as a professional and an independent musician and then Dave was my you know real final major mentor because what I learned from him I, there was no way I could get from anybody else when I joined that band I was gawky I looked like a noodle I uh, <laughs> you know uh, I had no charisma or stage presence, and he worked really hard with me. He, he took me to the gym five days a week without fail, worked with me on stage on how to move, and just watching him move was, you know, it's just powerful. And his confidence is fierce. You know, it rubs off. Well, the, yeah, so, the audacity of everything. I mean, even like the movie, like you're saying, it didn't really quite hit you, but I talked yeah. to Angelus about it too. You know, it's like this whole... They wanted to basically do, in so many words, like a hard day's night, meet kids are all right or something like that. You know, like this. Yeah. Also, you movie. spoke to Pete. I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that Great. was, and actually, Pete told me it was, you know, which I don't think he's gone public about, was that it was initially supposed to be for Van Halen. I mean, that was the original idea was that, hey, you know what? We're on the top of our uh, our game right now. It's late 1984. Yeah. Let's like make a movie. And those guys passed on that, so hence they went on their own. But, you know, the audacity of that type thing is, hey. Yeah, you know, yeah, be on, yeah. You know, but that's what how big a star was. Uh, Greg Bissonnette told me the night he heard he was in the band for, you know, that Dave told him he got the gig. Dave was on the Tonight Show with Joan Rivers. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's what he heard. I remember that. Like over the yeah. top. So, and I remember Pete, you know, mentioning that uh, they they really wanted to do a, a Van Halen movie. I don't know what happened with that. It, maybe the band wanted to, not wanted to. Pete would know. But then nothing's going to stop Dave from doing what no, he wants to right. do. Last question for you, which is, what do you see as a future for the Edom band? Well, you know, I in all those bands that I was in in the 80s and all the people I worked for, I felt like I was a dutiful soldier and that I contributed the best I could authentically because I really liked that music. But my heart was always in, well, my heart was in both places, but there was also this brand of music that was just unique to me. Yeah. I felt the need that I had to do that's not uncommon. And I did it. You know, I, I've been releasing solo records that I love for years and years. And there was always a feeling that it would be great to do a, a Eat em and Smile reunion tour. I mean, I would love to honor that record and that band because it was really a unique band. And uh, Dave, he's always been, you know, very positive about that idea. You know, obviously, there's a lot of moving parts. And when we did the Lucky Strike thing... It was almost like, you know, <laughs> Rockstar Interrupt Us or something. <laughs> we were ready to play, and we were all psyched, and we were just, I mean, people say that uh, minutes before we went on, the fire marshal came in, but it was seconds. I was standing with the, in front of, in back of the curtain, just with the, the hot guitar in my hands, and I was ready to 
start. We were psyched. When, when, I, when I was told we couldn't play, I did everything I could to get us to play, and we just couldn't. And I thought, we have to do something. This is too much cool energy to, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, you know, we had a little chat about it afterwards, and Dave was just very, very receptive to anything that we would, we'd want to do that would work out. Because, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts. I mean, I'm, I'm on tour until you know, mid 2017. And, um, you know, Greg is always with uh, Ringo. You know, everybody has things, but we definitely put it out there that this is something we would like to do. You know, would it be an album and a, and that kind of stuff? I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to get that deep into it yet, but the idea of a legacy honoring of the Eat em and Smile album and, and band, while it's its 30th anniversary and also I think would be really nice, you know, because yeah. there's no big commitment. There's no desire to be big rock stars or have a super group or sell millions of records. It would be about getting out there and just bringing it home in, you know, the way we used to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we still be, have the juice. We do. It would be amazing. I mean, I tell you, everyone I've talked to, even when I talked to, I, I talked to Ted uh, Templeman not infrequently and, you know, he even says like, "Oh, I'd love, you know, I'd love to do that again." It was just so great, and how, you know, how great you guys were, and just how blown away he was when you arranged all the music for "I'm Easy." And then Greg Bissonnette called in all the session guys for "I'm Easy." He just had a a blast making the record too. So it seems to be. I uh, was a blast working with him too. Gosh, he, such a wonderful approach. It was a it was a blessed relief to the way that I usually work. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to keep you because I know you have other stuff to do, but I'll tell you, I've gotten a big kick out of reading your old interviews. I now understand how Ted works. And reading how you were, you know, you you wanted to punch in a million times, and Ted be like, "No, you did it." Like, what are you talking about? It was one yeah. pass. It's not. It, I remember it, we were doing done. like, yeah, we were doing Elephant Gun, and I said, "Well, I I want to double the part." He goes, "What do you mean, you know, double it? Because it's all over the place." And yeah. I go, "Well, I can double every single little thing perfectly." And he said, "Well." He, I actually felt like he didn't want to take the time, and I said, "Let me just let me just try it." So I started doing it in the middle of the double. I broke a string, and Ted said, "Well, you know, it's it's, it's uh, probably just leave it with the one guitar." Right. You know, and then he left the studio, and I finished it. And then when he heard it, he liked it. So that's what made oh, it. Oh yeah, that's cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted always told me he wore two hats. He was the VP of the, you know, by that point he was a, a, a record company VP. I'm sure he was thinking like budget. I don't know that, but Mike's, just, you know, I wonder if he's like, shit, we're spending so much money here. It's done. It's good. Let's go. You know. So Steve, listen, it was a real thrill to talk to you, and thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, if you need anything, let me know because I really like the way you write. You know, there's an equilibrium there, and you do your research really well, and you're concerned about facts. And anybody that you're going to write a book about, I think is fortunate because uh, it's a good document for their cachet. So well, anything I, you, I can do for you, let me know. Oh, that's real thrill. Thank you so much, Steve. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember, you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed.